Sans Pants Radio, Australia's least coherent podcast network. My name is Alexi Toliopoulos and you're listening to Total Reboot. Cameron James, how are you doing today, butter? I'm doing really good. We are over Zoom at the moment, so I do miss you. I miss looking at your eyes in person. I miss your <laughs> smell. I miss wow. being within arm's reach of the Blu-rays at Blu-ray Studio. But, you know, for now, the digital space will have to do. It is locked down totally just for me to wander the hallowed halls of Blu-ray Studios. <laughs> But because we're in lockdown, I want to re-release an episode uh, from the Blank Slate archives because mm. uh, we're in a bit of a middle space between putting a pin in our Australian film season, Australian Psycho, and kicking off a food movie miniseries while you're away at work. And I want to re-release an episode, uh, probably one of our favourite episodes of the Blank Slate ever, hey? Yeah, actually, as soon as you mentioned this idea i thought i cannot wait to re-listen to this episode again just to see what the hell i thought of because i'd just seen the movie when it came out Mm. i've now seen the movie multiple times i can't remember what my initial reaction was but i'm excited to hear that again very excited and that movie is probably one of uh i think our great not really a discovery but the response that we got from doing this episode from especially overseas listeners that were not familiar with this film or this filmmaker um, really is one of the things that's been most important to me in our journey as film film discussers, film enthusiasts, if you will, yeah. and celebrators of cinema. The movie is Sweet Country by Australian filmmaker Warwick Thornton. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a Western set in uh, colonial Australia um, in the early 20th century, and it stars Sam Neill and Brian Brown and a wonderful bevy of great Australian actors. Um, and I, I think that this... It's just one of those things that's really stuck with me was us discussing this film uh, because, you know, we all, at the time, we were very much like a silly podcast where we talk about serious movies every now and then. Mm. But this was one where I felt like we got it really right in the early days of like the balance of talk, being silly guys talking about a movie that we really love that is not a silly movie. I'll tell you what, I remember being so nervous because we were pretty new at podcasting. Um, watching this movie in the cinema and just being so moved and taken by it. And then I remember coming out of that feeling very quickly with like, holy shit, I have to talk about this movie in like two hours. What the hell am Mm. I going to say? I'm so used to only making fart and boner jokes. What the hell am I going to do? So yeah, I'm curious to know how we handled it. But this movie has never left me. I've Mm -hmm. revisited it a number of times. Warwick Thornton is one of my favorite filmmakers. Um, I sometimes, a friend of ours is friends with him and sometimes I see him pop up on Instagram and I get starstruck. I'm like, I I can't believe I know someone who knows Warwick Thornton. Yeah, I just watched a masterclass of his where he um, talked about like his projects, his approach to film and stuff. And the way he talks about it is so casual, but he is like one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. And like him talking about 
himself being a genre filmmaker and putting limitations on himself. Yeah. Of like going like Samson Delilah, I don't want to, I'm not going to bring a tripod with me when I go film hmm. uh, in the town there. So it's not going to, it, it's not going to uh, p- make the actors who are non actors think that they're in a movie and freak them out and stuff. It's going to feel more casual. So it puts like these inhibitors on them. And I think with like Sweet Country, he was talking about like going like, yeah, I'm going to watch all the old westerns. I'm going to watch John Ford and then try and shoot horses a different way. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like that's everything about him is like a very, very, very smart, instinctual filmmaking that I think is, I think he's, he's one of the best of all time for me, especially in this country. Have you heard about his new project that he's working on at the moment? Yes. It sounds so sick. It's like a horror yeah. kind of project is what it would be. I don't know how much is out there in the world at no, the moment about no, it. No, me neither. But I would just say he said that it's a horror He's project. He's working in horror um, yeah. and using that as a jumping off point for his style. I, I'm so excited. Like yeah. genuinely cannot wait. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, listen to this episode of Sweet Country. We're very excited about it. Before we dive into it, though, we figured we would give you guys a few recommendations for things to watch while you're in lockdown or while, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all this craziness is going on out there in the world. And because it has just been NAIDOC week here in Australia, we figured we'd pick some pretty great Indigenous films or films by Indigenous filmmakers mm-hmm. for you to check out. Uh, Alexa, you want to kick us off? Yeah, if you want to watch Sweet Country as well before listening to the episode, it's very available now. You can just watch it on Netflix uh, in like a beautiful uh, HD print. It looks stunning. Um, and so it's very easy to access now. I think when we recorded it, it had barely come out in cinemas. Yeah, so yeah. now I'm more interested to see people finding this film in an easier way now. Um, but some of the films I want to highlight that I would love people to check out by Indigenous filmmakers, um, there's one that I really love and it's stuck with me for years now. And it's been one that I've been trying to track down for a long time. It was hard to find for a while. Uh, but now you can rent it on Vimeo for like nine bucks. It is a ghost story anthology by one of the great Australian visual artists, Tracy Moffat. And the film is called The Devil. And uh, it is three indigenous themed ghost stories um all told in a very highly stylistic visual sense Hmm. looking like built sets kind of looking at plays at some points each have a distinct visual style and uh each have different kind of blends of tones like they're pretty funny as well Hmm. i wouldn't say they're scary but they are kind of interesting storytelling and tracy moffat is like just one of the all-time greatest like photographers, visual storytellers, visual artists in Australia. Uh, she made this short film called Night Cries that was like a, kind of an iconic sh- Australian short film starring Indigenous activist Marcia Langdon, um, who is like a personal hero of mine. She was my my father's PhD student and lived with us for like a year of my life. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, she's incredible. But The Devil is a really, really interesting, specific Australian film that had been hard to find for a long time and now you can just watch it on Vimeo uh, for rental fee. It's incredible. I've been lucky enough to see in the cinema on film a couple of times, but I highly recommend it. And I would also say if you want something in like a lightness of tone or not really lightness of tone, but like a very funny cool movie is uh wayne blair's the sapphires yeah um, which is kind of like a kind of Fuck. poppy diva 
I love that movie so much. I, I fucking it's love such a good the ride. Sapphires, man. It's yeah. so good. It's so fun. The music rocks. Mm-hmm. I'm a sucker for like that era of music in particular, like that 60s kind of sixties pop. pop girl 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 group mm-hmm. sort of stuff. The um, wall of sound vibe. Oh, the Phil Spector wall of sound. I love that shit. Uh, uh, so it's that vibe, that era, 1960s Australia. With a fucking superstar cast, Deb yeah. Mailman, who is a living legend, mm-hmm. Jessica Mowboy, one of the beautiful, I love beautiful singers in our country, oh. Shari Sebens, who I just fucking adore, Miranda Tapsell mm-hmm. as well, Chris O'Dowd, uh, who everyone loves from the IT crowd and Bridesmaids. Mm-hmm. It's just fucking fun. It's fucking cool. Mm-hmm. And Wayne Blair is one of the great like writer directors working in yeah, in Australia. Um, and to see him do this, like, really fun, light film is, like, Historical a as well. Yeah. Like, period piece. It's real cool. And it's on Netflix as well now if you want to check it out. That's on Netflix. I actually posted uh, a picture of the poster on Instagram recently because the American poster sucks ass. <laughs> what is it? Describe it to the listener. It is just Chris O'Dowd in the... <laughs> And then the girls are in the background. It's really fucking horrible and stupid. But the Australian poster is cool. Mm-hmm. Chris O'Dowd is in the background of that one, as he should. It's be. basically like if the straight out of Compton poster was Paul Giamatti <laughs> with like yeah. NWA in the background. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's a huge recommend. Um, I have w- raved about this film before, probably on this podcast. So I'm going to I'm not going to talk too much about it but I highly recommend Mystery Road which is a neo western crime noir directed by Ivan Sen it's available on Stan um and that film was so great that there's now a sequel to it called Goldstone which is also on Stan and Netflix and a TV series which you can watch on I believe Stan and ABC iView um, mm-hmm. with the same name as the film, Mystery Road. They're all fucking great. Um, it's just you, everything you want in a kind mm. of noiry Western-type world. It's a cop yeah. who doesn't fit in with the other cops, and he wears a cowboy hat and boots, and he's solving a crime, and no one trusts him, and he's a fucking good shot with a gun. And yeah. Aaron Pedersen plays the lead in this, Jace Wan. He's like one of the fucking... Most badass fucking leading men this country has ever yeah. produced. Oh, uh, I, I got to say, I love Goldstone. To me, it's like the my favorite of that franchise so far. Um, I've watched it a few times, and I think every time I watch it, I like it even more. And uh, it also stars who I would say is maybe the greatest Australian film actor of all time, David Golpilil, mm. um, who. He's just, I think he's just one of the, he's the, the best Australian talent of all time, in my opinion. And um, I think Goldstone hits those existential beats uh, like no other in like that neo-noir way. Yeah, man. It's like fucking Mad Max because the first one, they're two completely standalone stories and mm-hmm. there's a whole world that happens between them yes. that, that we never see, but it's just alluded to, you know, like the ending of Mystery Road. And then the beginning of Goldstone, years have passed. The character has changed. They've gone through something and we, we mm-hmm. never know what it is. And I just think yeah. that's like my favorite shit for a franchise 
just mm-hmm. to have the character ride off into the sunset and then appear later a completely different person. Who the fuck yeah. is this guy? What happened to him? It's very cool. Very cool. And it's like kind of in the tone of like that Philip Marlowe thing, like adventures or investigations, and there's a lifetime between them and you don't really know because it's just, you just follow the guy when he's on the case or on the mystery. Yeah, that's fucking sick. I, I love Goldstone. Um, I'd also quickly like to recommend Jasper Jones, which is another mystery directed by Rachel Perkins. It's from 2017. I don't know if it's still on SBS On Demand if you're in Australia, but that's where I saw it. So hopefully it is, and you can check that out. If not, find a way to track it down. It's very cool. Rachel Perkins is a great filmmaker. Um, Mm -hmm. She also actually made the first season of the Mystery Road TV show. So she's done a lot of great work in this kind of genre. And uh, yeah, fuck, huge recommend from me. Huge recommendations, yeah. So check those out. I think that uh, it's something that we would like to highlight more of in our uh, further down the line with podcasting is just some more of like the great stories being told in Australia by Indigenous filmmakers. Um, So that's why we want to release Sweet Country once again. So enjoy this episode. Next week, I'm going to be kicking off the Cuisine on Screen (laughs) miniseries with... Mitch or the great Sydney chef uh, very soon. The Prince of Pasta even. And the first episode is going to be Ratatouille. So I cannot wait to do that. Cam is going to be away during that mini series. But what have you got that you want people to check out in the meantime, brother? Well, because we're living in this lockdown era at the moment, it's been a bit difficult for stand-ups to get out there. So I've decided to chuck a bunch of clips that I've been keeping over the last year or two up on YouTube. So I've done that thing that every fucking comedian does where I've started a YouTube channel. (laughs) And uh, I know it's a bit lame, but I'd love you to subscribe to it. It would be very cool if you could go there. I'll be putting clips up weekly and, you know, fucking watch them. Have a chuckle. It's all I can do to get my stand up out there at the moment. And the links to that are in the show notes, so click on through. You can also click on through and subscribe to our Patreon for just five bucks a month. You get access to extra content. We just did one where we talked about coming attractions like The Many Saints of Newark, the Joe Exotic TV series adaptations from Nicolas Cage that just fell through, and Joe, the most exotic Joe of them all, Joseph Gordon Levitt. <laughs> So check that out and much more content coming through there in the next few weeks as well. Cool. Enjoy this episode about one of the great Australian modern classics, the Western sweet country from Warwick Thornton. The mother of blank and blank and blank slate. Oh. Hello, dedicated slaters, and welcome to another episode of the Blank Slate Movie Podcast, the only film criticism podcast on iTunes and the known internet. Dark web, who knows what the hell is going on down there, but as far as the bright side of things are, we are the only one. My name is Alexi Toliopoulos. I am one of your hosts. With me, as always, is one of your other hosts. Hi, my name is Cameron James. I'm one of the hosts of the Blank Slate Movie Podcast here on the normal web, but over on the dark web, I host another show. What do you host down there? I host a show that's all about movies, but about the 
devilish side. Oh, of such as legends, bedeviled, uh, yeah, bedazzled, bedazzled uh, Rosemary's Babe. Oh, <laughs> Rosemary's Babe is a movie about a woman who gives yeah. birth to a pig baby. Yeah, it's you can only find it on the dark web. You can only stream it, and while you're streaming, it's actually taking all your data. Okay, so be careful. I heard on the dark web it's actually not called stream, but screaming. Yeah, is that that's true. true. It's really evil there on the dark web, and uh, guys, come on down. I promise I won't steal any of your personal information. Mm. I heard there's a thing called Netflix and Last Will and Testament. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) This is all true stuff. Guys, come on down to the dark web. We're having a blast and we're having a sale on screaming movies. I heard they don't have sales. They have seances. (laughs) Okay, dude. Now you're taking the piss a little bit. Okay. I heard in the dark web, you take the shit. <laughs> okay. Taking the piss. All right, but we're not talking about the dark web here today. We're talking about the normal web, and we're talking about normal movies. None of these yes. devilish ones. Well, today we'll be discussing in our feature review the latest film from Australian filmmaker Warwick Thornton mm-hmm. called Sweet Country. Uh, it is out now in cinemas across Australia and perhaps the world. I didn't look it up. So if you're not in Australia, <laughs> you might have to wait for this one, uh, but... I think if you are in Australia, it is your duty to see this flick. Yeah. Let's get into our feature discussion on Sweet Country, the latest film from Australian author Warwick Thornton. That was me auditioning again for a real, a real <laughs> critic job. <laughs> Sorry, sir. There's been a shooting. We gonna catch this murder? Yes, boss. When? Real soon, boss. Sam's way smarter than we are. All these days, we never come within two miles of him. He's probably sitting out there now, looking at you, laughing. I'm not going back. I know he's here somewhere. I'm gonna get him. Sam! Coming for you. It won't be long. It won't be long, Sam! Why did you run, Mr. Kelly? I shot a white fella. The film we're talking about is Sweet Country. An Aboriginal man goes on the run after he kills a white man in self-defense. Maybe before we get into the review, maybe we can talk a bit of our our relationship with Warwick Thornton as a filmmaker. You have because uh, I've never quite met... a close one with No, him. I've never met him, but yeah. he's one of my idols. I'd it say is... he's one of my favourite filmmakers. Well, I, you don't have to have met him to uh, have a close relationship with him, Alexi. You guys are alumni of the same film we school. We did go to the same film school, not at the same time. No, but maybe... Both your names will be on that same long fabric scroll. There actually was a long fabric scroll at Australian Film Television Radio School that did have both our names on it because I was a student within its first 40 years. So we were on the same scroll quite a few columns apart (laughs) as I was one of the last (laughs) students in its its 40 years. Um, But he is one of my absolute heroes, I would say. He's one of my favourite filmmakers. His previous film and his debut film, uh, Samson Delilah, which he did win the camera door at uh, Cannes Cannes Film Festival Mm. for Best First Filmmaker. Crazy. And uh, that film, Samson and Delilah, if you have never seen it before, is a 2009 
uh, film about two Indigenous children and or young uh, mm-hmm. Indigenous Australians, rather. Um, and I think it might be the best film ever made in Australia. And yeah. I don't say that lightly because obviously as... Uh, as as someone who has a great love for the film of this country, mm-hmm. there's movies like Picking a Hanging Rock that I sure. would put way up there in Gallipoli by director Peter Weir. Because sure. they are not strange movies like Truman Show, where I would refer to him as Peter Weirds. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I think uh, Samson Delilah is one of the greatest mm. Australian films ever made, but I've got to give the number one to Blurred, the film about schoolies. <laughs> oh, hell yeah, dude. <laughs> yeah, number three is You and Your Stupid Mate. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Yeah, it's it is funny, funny as heck. But Samson Delilah is famously not funny. Yeah, he has moments of uh, humour, I would yeah, say. But totally. Uh, that film came out uh, in 2009, and mm-hmm. I have a very vivid memory of going to see it. I would have been 17, maybe 18 years old, <sighs> and my I was still in high school. My dad took me to see the film, and I remember being just absolutely blown away by it. And immediately became one of my favourite films. Mm. And, you know, at the time, I was a young man with dreams of becoming a filmmaker one day, someone who had such a love of cinema, that was what I wanted to happen in my life. And then when I saw that film, it made me want to become an Australian filmmaker and really, Mm. it made me really embrace Australian cinema. I think that's... And for people our age, I think that is a lasting impact of that film. Hmm. And I think that has been apparent in some of my discussions I've had on this about this film uh, with other critics. I had a discussion uh, that will be coming out on ABC TV next week mm-hmm. on The Filter with uh, Jason DeRosso and Kate Jinks. And they both did like this film, but they didn't feel nearly as passionate or connected to it as I did. And I think with people of our generation, I've been noticing <laughs> contemporaries of ours and colleagues of ours having much more glowing reviews. And I think that is because there is such a strong reverence for Warwick as an artist. Mm. I remember seeing the film uh, when it came out as well, and the main thing that struck me... Samson Delilah. Samson Delilah was how gorgeous it looked. Mm. And I didn't really know anything about Warwick, and I have since learned that he's studied as a cinematographer Mm. and does a lot of work as a cinematographer. Yeah, you didn't just learn that because I told you. Well, I just learned it on Wikipedia, and then you told me. (laughs) Then I confirmed it. Yeah, Warwick studied... mansplained it to me. Cinematography... I afters explained it to you. Yeah. <laughs> he studied cinematography at the Stone Film Television and Radio mm-hmm. School, which is where I also have two qualifications from. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, he's a he's a great he has a great eye. I remember that's the main thing oh, that stuck gosh. with me about Samson yeah. Delilah was that it made our country look amazing, look I, beautiful. I would love to just jump in on that because but also that is- he shoots people beautifully oh, as well. Yes, yeah. Not just the landscape. Like people look gorgeous in his films. I think he's one of the great uh, cinematography talents this country's ever produced. And he shot both of those films as well. He shot yeah. Samson Dollar, he shot Sweet Country, he shot the Sapphires. Yeah. Which is I something didn't that know we that. just That's learned crazy, yeah. as well. We just learned on Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> Wikipedia is actually one of the great sources on the light web. But if yeah. you go on the on dark, the dark web, web it's called Sticky Fetia. <laughs> And it's and all you just don't want to go walking around there without it's shoes on. Tribute photos. Mm, That's yeah. all I'll say. It's every. It's basically the same, but every page has been tributed and is a scanned document <laughs> up on the on the website. Uh, so so sorry to do that while talking about one of the greatest <laughs> filmmakers. I was going to also say. Uh, 
What an honour it is for us in our one of our last episodes of the official Blank Slate Movie Podcast, yeah. where we do get to talk about one of the titans, I would say, talent-wise, mm. of Australian cinema, and then we just talk about cum for a second <laughs> during the review. So what you wanted to say uh, about uh, the way that he shoots the country mm. and people, I mean, did you want to tie that into Sweet Country? Yeah, I would love okay. to talk about that in Sweet Country. Um, maybe... For starters, we'll classify this as the genre of of a Western. Sure. Uh, Kind of unusually, this is a Western set in 1929. So it's a very late Western. Mm. Usually they're set in the 1800s or early 1900s. But this is really late. This is is so close to now, really. Yeah, it really is. Less than 100 years ago. But I guess it's not, you know, I know Westerns typically are set around the 1800s era, Mm. but... This is, it's more than that. Western is, is more, it's transcended the era now. It's mm. about the tone and the vibe yeah. that comes across. And of course, this movie has the tone of a Western. Yeah. But also visually, it's set in a desert, essentially, yeah. and everyone's wearing cowboy hats. That's, so. <laughs> that is really the hallmark of a Western. Because mm. we, when you talk about genres, you talk about the hallmarks and identifiers that identify a genre. So Western is the easiest one to identify because yeah. those are yeah. those are the identifiers. It's got horses. It's got people wearing hats. It's got guns it's got boots, and big guns, landscapes. Deserts, landscapes, yeah. small small rural towns. Yeah. That is, those are the signifiers I of mean, what a Western is. Yeah, those are the signifiers on a surface level uh, but as you and I both have discussed before the western is it's about something now we mm. were saying we were saying this before and uh, i think the western transcended its own genre at a certain point and i think that point was when those Fucking Frenchies over there mm. decided that John Ford was an artist. Yeah. And dis- John and the- Wayne was the great actor. Yeah, was the great actor. And and then all of a sudden, every Western since the 60s has been kind of an existential commentary on our place within mm. the wilderness of Earth or masculinity or and that's even know, ju- that's just through kind of like french essayists and stuff like mm. that before mm. the french new wave movement even took place mm. and then also europeans with the spaghetti westerns and european mm. westerns and um or whatever food you want to chuck on top of that Pancake title Pancake westerns <laughs> okay <laughs> i got it. is that dutch i, I guess know. so yeah. yeah it's a dutch western but you know like they they really turned it into kind of like a real visual art something yeah. else to, taking the language away from it and just making it about spectacle mm. and so i think modern day westerns they have to be art house films yeah. i can't imagine there being a commercial western now uh M- magnificent seven came yeah out that's two it. years ago and it's all been forgotten no two years it. ago i didn't see it because i knew just from the trailers of it that it was not going to be about mm. anything it was just an action movie set in the west and i don't give a shit about exactly. that it's not the setting for me that's exciting it's like what it evokes and what mm. and I think when when an Australian Western is made and there's been a few what is some like, is that one that Nick Cave wrote? Yeah, the proposition. The proposition uh, by John Hillcoat, which yeah. became like a very big hit in this country, I would say. Yeah. The great international cast like Ray Winston and Emily Mortimer, yeah. David Gulpalil, some of the some great actors. There's been so, there's been a few the Australian Western is a bit of a subgenre that's, you know, been been around for a while. Well, I think it evolved. The chant of Jimmy Blacksmith was yeah. that the seventies. Yeah, it evolves from 
our earliest film and the world's earliest film, mm-hmm. uh, the story of Ned Kelly. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this country, uh, we didn't have cowboys. We idolised bush rangers, mm. which were, you know, criminals of the outback, mm. the people holding stagecoach robberies. And those are the folk, folk, uh, folk, folklore. Sure. Folklore? Folklore. Folk, folk heroes. Folk heroes of yeah. Australian history. That's who we've really looked up to. And a lot of our great cinema and a lot of our shit cinema idolizes those people as well. Yeah. Think about the movie Mad Dog Morgan oh, yeah. that we've discussed on this podcast briefly, yeah. uh, starring Dennis Hopper. I mean, that's a. That's one of the most insane things. It's one of the most seen. insane movies. It's yeah. like, it's almost, I would say, close to a turd of a flick. It's so close to a turd. Yeah. It's, but if not for the cast being incredible, mm. with the exception of Dennis Hopper. <laughs> it's so close to a turd. It's a fight with particles <laughs> flying out of it. it. It's so close to a turd. Watching it will give you pink eye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that is a movie that also I would recommend if, you, if you're looking for a fucking weird movie to yeah. watch with some friends and some beers. It's like a Monty Python does the Outback movie. It's yeah. like almost like a sketch film unintentionally. <laughs> uh, but, you know, a lot of our great films and cinema history is based around stuff like that. And I think maybe, uh, the, especially the most recent Australian Westerns, they seem to be about the birth of our nation in many ways. Mm. And when I say birth of, I mean federation date, because yeah. I don't literally... Obviously, that's what the big... Uh, that's what the subtext is, that this is about a, uh, a country being taken away mm. from its people. Yeah. Um, and I think this one is absolutely no exception on a first reading. Yeah. It's probably about people taking the land away from other people. Yeah, and I would say mm. it is about that cultural clash, clash between uh, Aboriginal Australians and the white con- colonist Australians, yeah. European Australians. And there is something really interesting about the setting of this film is that uh, there is one scene where we see them, uh, like a little small town that has like a travelling cinema come through it yeah. and they show the story of Ned Kelly, yeah. which is the first film ever made feature film ever made mm-hmm. it's an Australian film it's a film about a bush ranger a, that, a film that glorifies uh, a criminal and I don't think it's much of a coincidence that the lead character is called Sam Kelly yeah. and we're seeing a, a white man who's committed probably far worse crimes mm. than um, Sam Kelly being treated being, as a hero and cheered on by a crowd cheered on by a crowd the very same crowd that will totally be against yeah, uh, Sam Kelly later on in the film. They don't even know really the extent of the story. They don't really know his crimes, but they're already st- singing for him to be hung mm. before the trial has even started. Mm. Yeah, it's a it's a great little moment. You know, it's a little cinematic nod too to the fact to look how far the Bush mm. Ranger or like the Outback story has gone. Yeah, but it is. Uh, yeah, it's a really nice moment. Um, while we before we keep moving uh, so much in kind of a social cultural conversation with this, I'd love to jump back to where we started with this talk about how Warwick Thornton has such an amazing eye, and I would say the images that he captures of the Australian landscape and the portraiture of uh, of the actors within this film uh, is second to none mm. ever in this country. I, I think that no one else captures this kind of 
uh, almost a cliche to say, but the harsh beauty of the Australian landscape mm. that Warwick does. Mm. There are vistas in this film that are up there with stuff in classic westerns of Jean Ford. Oh, yeah. I just said it like a Frenchman, Jean Ford. <laughs> uh, like, truly, there is one setting, one location in this film that I have not been able to stop thinking about. Mm, it I think really I know what it is blew be. my dick into the dirt. Are you talking about, and when you say dirt, do you mean salt? I do mean salt. You mean the salt lake? There thing? is uh, one location in this film that uh, is. We see the, our characters, the posse, mm. uh, after Sam walking through uh, what you when you hear an Australian desert, it's what you imagine: red dirt, red dirt, bits of scrub, yeah, some mm. vegetation, some rocks and cliff mm. and stuff like mm. that. Sparse vegetation, dry red heat against blue su- blue sky, mm. and they come upon the cusp or the precipice of a salt lake yeah. desert. So it's just complete white salt as far as the eye can see and it's that salt to the horizon and then that bright blue sky against it. I don't think I'd ever seen a setting like that ever in my life. No. And it's real. I was trying to think of what it evoked for me and you know what it made me think of was um, El Topo. Yeah, wow, another art, maybe the first art house western. Yeah, just because especially at the point in that film, uh, at, at this point in Sweet Country, Brian Brown's character is starting to, I guess, trip out. He's tr- yeah, <laughs> he's off, going crazy from, from the heat, heat and also and lack kind of, of water and mad with revenge as well. And so it becomes a bit trippy in that sequence, which reminded me of El Topo. But yeah, it's gorgeous. It's all white, then you can see the red sands in the distance and then the mm. blue skies, plus it's combined with that kind of haze, you know, that sort of steam haze yeah. that comes off the ground. The mirage Yeah, thing. it's just, oh, my God, it looks beautiful. And then, like, long shadows, the horse mm. just casting a shadow that seems yeah. to go for a fucking kilometre. I would say a contemporary uh, example pa- pairing with this would be in The Force Awakens where you see that salt planet yeah. where you see the red dirt beneath it or the red clay kind of seeping through. And that's what I was thinking about while I was watching the movie. But then what drove me insane was like, you know, that's something that someone had to imagine. Mm. Someone found this. This is a yeah, real location a real in this country. And it just made me just marvel at the way that he was able to capture it. It made me think, did someone just show Ryan Johnson photos of this exact Salt Lake and the red dirt beneath it? Because it, it's pretty much exactly the same mm. as how it looks in Star Wars. But this is but like, this is next level because you feel it. It's real. Yeah. Yeah. It's just astonishing. It looks gorgeous. I think uh I think that sequence was one of my favorite sequences as well, uh not just visually but story-wise because it really sets apart what the two main men of the story mm. stand for, maybe morally. You know Brian Brown plays the kind of like angry, vigilant lawman who's on the hunt for Sam. And Sam, played and by Sam, Hamilton Morris, who is, is uh, you know, he's an untrained he, actor. He's an uh, wow. uh, he's a non-actor. Yeah. And obviously Warwick uh, with Samson Delilah has worked with non-actors before. Mm. And um, I think this guy is amazing. Well, I mean, his character's on the run, but yeah. this this exact scene shows you that he's not. He's not just a villain on the run from the law. He's like a person with humanity who will not let someone suffer out mm. there in the desert. He knows that 
that the desert and this country can kill them, mm. but he won't let him die. It's. I think he's such an interesting character, and I think one of the coolest things about this film being set in 1929 is who that character is. Hamilton Morris's character, Sam, he is someone that works for Sam Neill, who is a preacher, mm-hmm. who is a very kind preacher, who mm-hmm. sees uh, Indigenous people as equal, mm-hmm. which at that time... and. You, you, that is up until been, up today, in, I even. would say, mm. even now, they're not um, as equal in our society as they should be. No, and especially yeah. then, it was it's it. He is seen as less than in mm-hmm. the in the colonized world, and when he goes out into the bush, as uh, trying to escape, uh, he is seen as different by the other the native tribes, indigenous tribes. Yeah. They can't communicate with each other. I. I think and that at the end of the day is what this movie is about and it's at about it's about a country on the point of change where things can never go back to what they were mm. and the future of white people can't be what it's supposed to be either it can't mm. just be white people in charge anymore it has to be about braving forward in a new way and that I mean that commentary it's set in the 20s but the commentary is for today mm, for so, sure. so one thing I kind of wanted to bring up to you was and uh, it's about the western the western as we know it is kind of you know typically a masculine genre mm. it's usually about men men coming up against nature or coming up against other men mm. this film is interesting to me because it wasn't just black men coming against white men it was it was about different types of people within both mm. cultures, mm. you know. I mean, the two white leads in this film, Sam Neill as Fred Smith the Preacher and Brian Brown as Fletcher the Lawman, having a religious man and a lawman is quite obvious symbol, like symbolism mm. there for me that we've got these two guys on completely opposing sides Mm. who are both on the frontier of like creating a new nation, Mm. but coming at it from very different ways. One Mm. is more heartfelt and sympathetic. The other one sees, sees this country as a battle that needs to be won. Mm. And then within, this is the part that I found more interesting within the two indigenous leads. You've got uh, Sam who is kind of, he's kind of like, he's, called the mild man throughout the whole Mm. film. Everyone calls him mild and meek because he's quite quiet. Mm. He's constantly underestimated by Mm. everyone. Mm. He knows his own out in the bush. He also knows his own on the properties. He can, he can do kind of everything. He can be brutal when he needs to be brutal, protective. He's sensitive and smart. He's constantly underestimated by everyone. But then you've got the young boy who I don't think we've talked about yet. Mm. Philomac, I think the character's name was, and he is half black, half white, and constantly being told by everyone on both sides that he's not good. Mm. He's being told that he's trouble and that he's going to be in trouble and that he has no hope and that he needs to abandon his own culture and embrace white culture the whole way through the film. And I think that's that's crazy to me, but it's also very interesting on on the way that black people have been kind of accepted in this country. We we sort of seemingly, white people seemingly want them to be more like us, mm. you know, in a weird way. And I think the movie kind of, I don't want to spoil that final image of the film, but it kind of shows that, you know, even though he can't ever be like someone who lives in the bush forever, he mm. also isn't going to be just a normal white guy. Yeah. 
I think that's really what this movie is about. And I mm-hmm. think um, it's, it is a very emotional movie. And I think Westerns often aren't. Mm. I think they are cold films, usually, mm-hmm. uh, artistically. Like they may be saying those things, but they are told in a kind of arm's length way. Mm. And I think this film is not that. I think this film is very emotional. It's very sad. It's very bittersweet. And I think that. Um, I think that's what makes this film so special is that Warwick is a real human director. He's a, he's a humanist. Yeah. I think he tells human stories and I think uh, there's a warmth to them as well. Like I would say that this film is very warm, mm. even in its saddest and darkest moments. I think mm. that it, because there, it is a movie also about the human spirit. I think that's what he did with Samson Delilah. I think that's what he did with this film. And I... I I think that um, I spoke to Jason and Kate about this on the filter as well. Um, the, this, I believe this was Kate's point that she wished that this had been written by him as well. Hmm. And I can't, I do agree with that because I think those points would have been made either more subtly, but they would have even greater impact had he had written the film. Which, what did you think wasn't subtle? What was hitting you over the head? I don't think there was anything that really hit me over the head, but I feel like, <laughs> I, for me, I find I, there's very little to criticize about this movie. Yeah. There's nothing that I was, and even the minor criticisms, uh, they're, they're, you can forget them because I think this is an excellent movie that everyone should go see. Mm. I don't think, I'm not even criticizing saying that that wasn't subtle, but I'm just saying that maybe, um, I don't know, just I love him so well, much I, that I wish it was yeah. more his movie. Can even. I, um, can I maybe posit something that you thought mightn't have been subtle just mm. based on what I think? And it is, I mean, I guess spoilers don't count. This is a Western drama. It's mm. not like a mystery or yeah. like whatever. <laughs> it's not like you know people are going to care. Yeah. Uh, people that w- are listening to this have probably already seen it. And if you haven't seen it, you probably won't mind us talking about the final couple of lines of the film, mm. I don't think. Um I mean, the film ends on a bit of a tragic note where kind of mob justice proves to be the way that the country still operates under, Mm. um, particularly with violence towards the Indigenous community. Mm. And uh, the final line of the movie goes to Sam Neill, who says, what hope does this country have? Yeah. Which is very unsubtle. Yeah. Um, I think that's more what I'm thinking about is moments like but that. But I did, I did not mind that one I bit. Don't, I mean, I didn't at all. To me, this is a... Yeah. I would say it. I don't usually give a star rating or anything. To yeah. me, this is a five-star film. Well, yeah. Even if there's moments like that that I didn't love, mm. I think this movie is fucking amazing. I think that the point of... I think if you're, you know, if you're a filmmaker who is making a film this emotional, at times you need to reach for a big bold line like that yeah. and to have someone say what hope does this country have that clearly is not about the film that's about us right now yeah. looking at looking to the future and it's especially resonant because i saw this today two days after the, the 26th of january and um, which is uh, if you're an overseas listener if you're not familiar with the 26th of january in australia um it's a very controversial day mm-hmm. it is a national holiday in this country it is known as australia day it's also known as invasion day and it is a day of mourning for a lot of people in this country rather than a day of celebration yeah and it's very controversial today because uh the date, the date, what's the date of 26th of, uh, 26th of January? What mm-hmm. is that? Uh, it's the day that 
<laughs> it's not even the day that we became uh, Australia. That's no, the weird thing, isn't it? That's the, the day, first of January, the day that the, the first, first, first fleet, fleet landed. So the day that white people came to the country and started killing, essentially, and claiming yes. land. So it is a mm. date of genocide. It is a starting point in uh, the very dark and shameful history that this country has. Mm. Um, and that is why there's a big sh- uh, movement to change that date. So we don't celebrate our national holiday on a day that carries so much loss and sadness for a huge part of this country. Yeah, let's just move it to the first. Who gives exactly. a shit? Exactly, put on the first. I mean, the day of federation. Yeah, That's people, not... the only reason yeah. it hasn't moved is because people want another holiday, essentially. Yeah, so. exactly. Oh, God. Anyway, um, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk but, about movies. But, but it really, that really did hit me because I'm seeing it two days after that, after I just watched um, thousands of people march to change, change that date. date. And, yeah, I couldn't help but hear Sam Neill say that final line and think, yeah, what hope does our country mm. have? Like, when will there ever be justice or change? There's also really... When will we have the equality that that character wants? Exactly. There's there's also a kind of beautiful moment uh, at the very end of the film that the young character, Philomac, who's been kind of, you know, not really accepted by either culture. The, um, the older black characters kind of treat him a bit like crap and, mm. and so do the white guys as well, obviously. He, uh, earlier in the film, he's stolen a white man's pocket watch and it kind of becomes this symbol of perhaps him holding on to something that he'll never be or mm. longing to be accepted in a, in like white society. The film ends with him dropping the watch from his hands, which is obviously he's letting go of that mm. dream, but it also uh, seems to me that it means time's up in many mm. ways and that this, that's the most political statement in the whole movie. Like this is... It's time. Yeah. So, fuck. I couldn't help but get moved when I was watching it, especially in a cinema. I went and saw it in a very fucking bougie cinema. Yeah. (laughs) The palace cinemas that are like, they sell fucking wine and shit there. Yeah. You can can get a handcrafted shock top and and I'm surrounded by old white people. (laughs) It is is probably the baby boomer cinema in this country. It's got a very old upper middle class clientele. Uh They don't really play many fun movies there. And the fun movies they do play are like French farces that suck. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's a very bougie cinema. Oh, yeah. And uh, I saw this at Randwick Ritz as well, so it's not too different. Not too dissimilar. Uh, I saw with Henry Stone, and Uh in the same row as us, there was a very old white man who at the end of the film goes, Oh, what's going on? And it's like, oh, I want to go, shut up, man, shut up. I got so annoyed. Yeah, um, I was the youngest person in my cinema by about 30 years. And mm. um, this is such a typical thing of Australian cinema, right? And I haven't seen this movie. It's not out yet. But one of the trailers was for the Simon Baker-directed film, um, yeah. Breath, I think it's called. Yeah. It's coming out in Feb, I think. And uh, it's a, adapted from a Tim Winton novel, I think. Yeah. And it's it seems to be if it wasn't, it's yeah. just an updated Lockie Leonard. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it's, it's, it's a sad Lockie Leonard, yeah. but it looks like every Australian film mm. that you've ever seen. It's about the surf and yeah. men and sexuality and like you know, I, I, from what I gather from the trailer, a young boy has an affair with an older woman at the same time, oh, like adoration. Yeah, at the same time that he's like learning how to surf and mm. learning how to be a man in the in the like on the coast of yeah. Australia. Uh, that trailer came on, and all, I swear to God, every old person in the cinema with me was just like, "That looks good. We should mm. go see that. That looks great." And it probably is good, but yeah, I but think it's it, so different to what this, especially movie is. juxtaposing <laughs> into this film, it makes yeah. you see like what a 
insane talent Warwick Thornton is. What an insanely talented storyteller he is. And I think this movie, I hope it does signify a touchstone in Australian cinema of moving forward like Samson Delilah did. I think that because there is almost a 10-year gap between these films is very telling. Mm. So I'll say that again for hitting Mike. A 10-year gap between those films is very telling. And that I think that if there had been a smaller gap, you know, we would be somewhere else perhaps. Yeah, I was going to ask you, why Why was there such a long gap between films for him? I mean, um, for between uh, narrative, narrative films. Right? Well, I think it's because he has focused on, you know, documentary making and cinematographer work mm. as well. Um, he seems to love making films and mm. that's what he does. I saw uh, his, other, his other film that came out last year uh, called We Don't Need a Map, which is an essay documentary film about the Southern Cross. And mm. uh, in, in, in kind of like a cultural study of the Southern Cross mm. in Australia, which is, uh, I think it's a good companion piece with this film as well. And that was a film that opened the Sydney Film Festival. So I think that, um, uh, and I think it's screening in some cinemas across Australia now. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a very good film. I didn't love it as much as this, but I think it is, uh, I think that's because I had different expectations for it. Because you know, having an essay film opening the Sydney Film Festival, you don't think it's going to be an essay. You think it's going to be mm. like a bold documentary and it is quite a bold film, but I think that it just wasn't the right setting for that film to right, be. Right, right. But it's good. I recommend that if you're, especially to you, Cameron, because uh, you seem to care about Warwick Thornton pretty much as much as I do. Mm. I think that um, it is also an interesting exercise from a really interesting filmmaker. Um, one other thing that I want to talk about before we close things up, um, it's something we've kind of, almost talked about in this we've been talking about this as a western very classical western and we keep bringing up those French dudes like Goddard and Truffaut (laughs) Uh, we're talking about their reverence for the western I think one of the things that makes this film so special and interesting is that has almost touches of European new wave cinema as well Mm. with these kind of little glimpses that are premonitions or remembrances yeah Uh, very true we'll see like a three second cut to um, something that's either happened in the future or the past and it's a very intimate character moment and it kind of builds these characters up and creates intimacy through mm. them. I think that is a really, really special touch that this film has. I actually forgot about that. That's a technique that I, as the film was playing, I was so in love with, mm. but I've forgotten about it in the past. Um, it even, uh, it's unclear as to whether you're watching kind of premonitions or remembrances, which I think is the coolest thing about them. Sometimes yeah. you you see a character and it flashes to something that's that's happened before, which is very clear. Mm. But then other ones you go, okay, is that some trauma from their past or am I going to see that image later in the film? And then you catch up to them sometimes and you actually get to see them in real see life. See what it is, yeah. Yeah, which is very cool. In fact, the movie even starts on one. Mm. It starts with that image of Sam with the chains around his neck, which mm. I read to be... Um, something that had happened before the film had started. Mm. I read it almost as if he he was in prison before, yeah. or he'd been like freed from another yeah. like property or yeah, something. Something, but it turns out that that's something that happens in the last third of yeah, the film. Yeah, it's a uh, premonition. And I think one of the other ones that really builds character is that there is uh, one of Harry March, who's kind of like 
uh, a villain in this film, mm. uh, played by Ewan Leslie. He is the man who Sam kills in self-defense. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there's one where we kind of cut to him really sad, very drunk in his home. And it is when we kind of see that there's a more complexity to this guy. He's not just, he is a bad man and mm. he is a horrible man. Uh, but there's more to that. We know that he is a returned veteran mm. of the First World War, I would say. Yeah. And, um, you know, not everything's right in his head. He's no. uh, got strong PTSD. Mm. And I think little moments like that is something that is you wouldn't really see in a classic John Ford Western. No, no, you're right. That is very European. Hey, there's a scene, uh, there's a scene with that character, you and Leslie's character, that had some of the most tension I'd seen mm. on screen in a long time, which is when he, it's the rape scene. <laughs> There's mm. no other way to say it. Yeah. But, you know, the whole scene builds over like a four minute mm. window of just this guy slowly locking all the doors and windows in his cabin. And you know what's happening, mm. but the camera just follows him as he goes around slowly and does it. And the room gets darker and darker until eventually it's pitch black and you don't get to see the act. Mm. Unless but- you are uh, Richard B. Riddick, Vin Diesel. <laughs> yeah, unless you're Riddick. <laughs> but I was like, as it was happening, I reckon I got about a minute into that mm. scene and I went, okay, I know what's happening here, but it makes you I really live. do not want to live in this. It makes, But it makes you <laughs> yeah, live in that moment. You are forced to live in it for as long as it takes. And you, you're in it for the entire length of the act. It doesn't cut away. Uh, I felt sick as it's it was building a, it's up. It's sickening. To it. It's yeah. truly sickening. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I was like, I feel like if I was in a cinema alone, I would have been going, "Oh no, yeah, oh no, no, no," yeah. out loud. I was that filled with dread. Yeah, mm. and I think that's what this movie does, where it does divert from uh, either classic westerns and modern westerns, is that it forces you to deal with moments like that. Mm. That's what I'm saying when I'm saying this isn't a cold film. Yeah. You're, yeah, you're in right. there. You're feeling those the, those awful emotions. And there's one scene later on that relates to that during the, the trial of Sam Kelly uh, where there is where it becomes very clear that that has happened in the story to his mm. wife mm. Uh, during the trial. And you see his wife sitting totally still with her head down. You can't see the emotion, but you don't need to. But sitting next to her is Sam Neill. Uh, sitting yeah. almost in the background, and mm. you just see the realization of that character. Yeah, what has gone on? And I would say Sam Neill may have never been finer. I, I think he's incredible. Have we? We actually haven't even really spoken about him mm. in this. Maybe we haven't spoken about any of the acting. Really, I, don't, I think that's because that's such a powerful film. And, yeah, you know, but but I mean, I just want to say are, everyone's yeah. incredible in this, and I, I don't, know, I don't think of Sam Neill very often. But when I, I think do, about him, maybe three, I, every three days, I reckon. <laughs> I just think he's sort of so part of Australian cinema that I just, and same with Brian Brown, I guess that I never really think of them because they seem to be in a new movie every mm. year. That you know, some I see, some I don't. But I mean, is he one of the greats, Sam Neill? Yeah, he's so fucking good. We love him. I mean, <laughs> when, I remember when we talked about his film Dead Calm with Knockoff Kidman yeah, and Billy Zane. Yep, yep. Um, Which, by the way, I can't find anywhere. It's really? not on iTunes. It's disappeared. It's not on iMovies. I've tried watching it again. I can't find it anywhere. I watched it on iTunes. It's I remember gone, that, dude. Well, uh, Dead Calm is one of the great Australian mm. films as mm. well, and I think uh, he. 
I would say, along with Hunt for the World of People, I think we're seeing something really exciting happening with Sam Neill. Mm. I hope that I hope that continues. I hope we get to see him in bigger movies or not bigger movies, smaller movies, yeah. where they give him moments like this to really fucking act and react it's and sort be. Of like watching this, it kind of reminded me that he was in Jurassic Park. You know, because that's such an iconic character. It's such mm. an iconic film that I. I sort of forget that Sam Neill, who is such a great actor. I think it's because he's so... Re- oh, this has become a love fest on Sam Neill, which I didn't expect. <laughs> but interesting, Park is not a character. That is, yeah. To me, that's a real person that's in that film. Yeah. Because he's so good in it. Yeah, you know? he's like, so good Because you watch Jurassic World, sorry, Chris Pratt, you yeah. know, like, oh, that's Chris Pratt. Yeah, of course. You watch that film, like, no, that's a real archaeologist, yeah. Dr. Alan Grant. This isn't like Indiana Jones. This is Dr. Alan Grant. And yeah. he's just like, been forced into this situation. They just found the real guy <laughs> but and I he's great in it. Go, All right, how come he was never in anything else as like huge as uh, Jurassic Park? The Merlin TV movie, <laughs> excuse okay. you. Apart from that, like he should have been in more gigantic films. Mm. He is incredible. Yeah, he's the best, man. He's absolutely the best. <laughs> he's, he's the best. I got nothing and he's else to like, say. You know, sometimes he's a spokesman for lamb mm. or whatever it and is. He does a little dance with the monkey. <laughs> And sometimes he wants us to bring back dog racing to Sydney. Did you oh, ever see that? No. <laughs> he gave this big speech about keep, keep Sydney open, and he ended it by saying, and for God's sake, bring back the doggies. <laughs> <laughs> Did he say that? Yeah. Uh, that's very Which funny I to me. I disagree with, but I it's hilarious. But to me, that's very funny. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. Um, wow. Well, uh, I don't really have a rhyme to give you the question. Oh, so is that I Sam Neil at the altar that is this film? Yeah, of course. I, I loved it. I really, I recommend it highly. If you have seen it, chat to us about what you thought about it. If you haven't, fucking get out there, go to your local bougie cinema mm, go <laughs> and see watch it. it. I was very <laughs> excited to see I went to see a movie last night at the... Uh, uh, an unnamed cinema. <laughs> I was about to say what it is, but you'll know it's an exclusive of that cinema. Um, the and I went to see like six thirty p.m. on a Saturday night. Mm. I went to see Faces Places, the new Agnes Varela film, and um, this film that session was totally sold out. It was in mm. one of the big cinemas there. Wow! And so that made me very happy and excited to see that people are going to go fucking see this movie because they yeah. should. It's excellent. Well, the session I went to of this was sold out today, and really? I went uh, to like an eleven o'clock session. Whoa! Yeah. Okay, that's awesome. So that's hopefully good. that continues. It's not just opening weekend. Yeah, I think this film. I hope it has legs. I think this is a great Australian film. I think Australians should embrace it, and I think if you're an overseas listener, you should watch this movie, track it down, find out when it's coming out near mm. you um, or how it is coming out near you because I think this is really awesome and um, I think you guys seeing that you'll get to understand a little bit more about uh, what our perspective on film is as Australian yeah. uh, commentators. <laughs> what are we? What are we? Australian celebrators lords. of cinema <laughs> uh, or chat lords, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> uh, thanks for joining us and please do talk to us. We love you guys. Bye, babies. Good evening. <laughs>